You would turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians chapter four. It's a wonderful thing to be with you this morning and to worship God together. Appreciate the songs that James picked out and the the praise that we were able to give our God this morning. As we've been studying, as he said, uh, the Psalms, we've, I think, come to appreciate more greatly just how much we as God's creatures need to praise Him. That's what we were created to do, and it's always a joy to be able to do that together. We should count it a great privilege that we're able to approach God the way that we do each Lord's Day, and count it a great privilege that He has revealed His Word so clearly and completely to us, and hopefully we can um, in this study, glean a portion of his wisdom this morning. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes to these brethren, and in the midst of a context, speaking about contentment especially, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a very well-known verse, and it's not just well-known to us, but it's well-known to People that we'll talk with in the world, especially those who would claim to be followers of Christ, you even see it in sporting events and such where maybe a a football player has it on his eye black. I know for uh, certainty that um, Stephen Curry, a a point guard for the Golden State Warriors, who's very famous, has this written on his shoes from time to time. Um, He has a a clothing brand that uh, uses the phrase, in Jesus' name I play. And so it's a very popular phrase, and it's it's something that is used by those in the world kind of for purposes that it doesn't actually serve. And for that reason, there's a lot of confusion about it, I think. And I think we're very well familiar familiar with the context and, and what it doesn't mean and then what it does mean. But I think that there are some nuances to this concept that would help us in using this verse the way God intended it and certainly being equipped to explain it to others. And so I simply want to view this section of scripture really from three different angles. What does he mean? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me suggest to you firstly that this was meant by the Holy Spirit as a form and source of strength to do all things pertaining to God's will for us. He had said in the second chapter of Philippians that they needed to not only in his, ab- in his presence, but also in his absence, work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And he said in verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is not speaking about this Calvinistic concept of the foreordination and predestination of each activity in our lives, that everything that we do from the school we choose to attend to the things that we choose to study to the work that we assume to support ourselves and our family to the spouse that we choose is that that God chose those things to be ours before time began and that there's a intricate and very detailed plan for each and every one of us in our daily life. That's not what it's saying there. That's not what Philippians 4.13 is giving us the encouragement to pursue. But Philippians 2.12 and 13 is talking about God's revealed pattern 
His will for me as a Christian, His will for the church, to live and glorify Him by submitting to Him and keeping His commandments. And so the whole context of the Bible, and especially chapter 4 of Philippians, is speaking about God having specific things that He requires us to do, specific ways He requires us to be, specific things that we have to do in His name that would require a tremendous amount of direction and strength to fulfill them. And that's what Paul is saying. I can do all things that God wants me to do through Christ who strengthens me. I can become more like Christ. I can overcome any temptation through Christ who strengthens me. I I can live a pure and clean life and have my mind purified despite all the impurities that surround me through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure any trial and bear up under any loss through Christ who strengthens me. I can always do God's will through Christ who strengthens me. I can lead others to Christ and save some souls through Christ who strengthens me. I can combat any error, no matter how seemingly difficult it may appear at the first, through Christ who strengthens me. The list goes on and on and on. Anything and everything that God requires us to do, from the most simple things to the most challenging things, we can do it through Christ who strengthens us. Let me suggest to you firstly, that this statement of Paul's was not a statement of philosophy. It was a statement of faith in Christ. And there's a huge difference between the two. You remember in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul dealt with those who had an ear for and an interest in philosophy. And they had began to view Paul and others and each other, other teachers, as merely philosophers. And it was in an age where people would follow certain others and they would follow them simply because they fancied them, the teacher themselves, not necessarily the substance and truth of what is being said, but they liked that person and how he spoke and how he looked or whatever it may be and therefore he followed him, and there was great pride in that. And so Paul dispels that error. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And then he adds this, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. If I preach the gospel, but I do it with my own wisdom and words, then really the gospel is not being preached and that message is made of no effect. He'd go on to demonstrate that God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. The scribe and the the wise and the disputer, they cannot know the way to God and salvation. He has made null and void and foolish the wisdom of this world. He explained in chapter 2 the reason why he did not preach human wisdom or philosophy or use these persuasive words or excellency of speech. He explained in verse five, after he said he did it in demonstration of the spirit and power, he said that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to tell you something. Philosophy, these kinds of 
maxims, if you will, these pithy statements that people make. And you see it all over social media and these different memes and gifs and, and statements of wisdom and, and all of these quotations that people throw around, these philosophical, seemingly deep thoughts that seem to be really motivating, that won't make you a better Christian. It won't get you to heaven. And that's not what Paul was doing in Philippians 4 and verse 13. Paul was not suggesting that with a mere can-do attitude that we can be elevated to new heights in service of God. That's not what he was saying. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Colossians very strongly dissuaded those people from listening to such speech. In verse 4 of Colossians 2, he says, I say this lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. He'd go on to say in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And he explains, For in him, that is Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let me suggest to you that spiritual success does not depend upon pulling some psychological strings and convincing yourself that you can live a certain way. Spiritual success requires faith. And I think the very definition, at least spiritual definition of faith, shows that it's not about changing or altering our mind by ourselves, but it requires something in someone outside of ourselves. I trust in, I believe in, I'm convinced in and convicted in God. The hall of faith in Hebrews 11, time and time again says, by faith so-and-so did something when God told them to do something. The faith came from God revealing, and the faith was in, not self, but in God. I will say that one of the main reasons for spiritual failure is this I can't do attitude. We need to have an I can do attitude, but that's not philosophy, brethren. And it doesn't boil down to just me and my strengths. Certainly, we can't have an I can't do this mentality. It's not mere pessimism, let me suggest to you. It's not merely a display of, of humility. You know, I'm not going to act like I have everything together, so I'm just going to say I can't do it. Brethren, that's a manifestation of a lack of faith. And when I say I can't do something that God tells me to do, it's not merely a reflection of a little view of myself, but a little view of God. Paul said, I can do. And it wasn't an empty belief in self or a philosophical attempt to, to convince the Philippians or himself that he could actually set out and accomplish great things, but it was an expression of faith in Christ, an expression of faith in God. Remember in Matthew 17, when the apostles failed to cast out a demon. In fact, a, a man came to Jesus and said, have mercy on my son for he's an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. So Jesus 
cures him. But first he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And after he cured this person, the disciples said, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be moved from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And what does prayer and fasting do? Prayer petitions the one who has the power to do it. Fasting is a result of our intense focus on that one. I don't have time for anything else. I'm so focused on God. He said it was because of your unbelief. He doesn't say it was because of your unbelief in yourself. The point is you did not believe God. In Matthew 10, when he called them apostles and he sent them out on the limited commission, he said you will cure diseases and heal ailments and cast out demons. But they couldn't cast this demon out. It was because of their lack of faith. But think about the similar statement seen in Luke, the 17th chapter. And this is not a context of casting out demons and healing maladies. This is actually a context where in verses one through four, Jesus said that you've got to be willing to forgive one who has wronged you as many times as he comes to you having repented and asks for that forgiveness. And that's hard for us to swallow. That's a difficult task. And that's what the disciples felt as well. So they said in verse five, increase our faith. That's hard to do. I need an increase of faith. And certainly we often need to pray that prayer. Lord, increase my faith. But I want us to be impressed with what the Lord said. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Back in Matthew 17, he was saying, you did not have faith. Here, he's not saying that necessarily. He's saying, even if you have this small measure of faith, now you can pray for an increase in faith, but even if you have a mustard seed worth of faith, you will be able to do whatever it is that God tells you to do. Now, he doesn't tell us to move mulberry trees in mountains, but if he did, we could if we had a mustard seed's worth of faith. The mountain we move is forgiving those who have wronged us. The mountain we moved is living by faith in Christ with fidelity and good devotion. And we can do that if we but trust in him and believe in him. And so that's where the practicality comes in. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now look back at Philippians chapter four. He says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the specific context, though the general context is any spiritual thing God requires, the specific context is living with contentment. He says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need. He says in verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But notice those words in verse 11 and in verse 12. I have learned to be content. I have learned to both be full and hungry, abound and suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a statement of faith that was cultivated by the command. Don't worry about your life. Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew 6. You think Paul remembered that? He wasn't there, but certainly he had been taught it. I've learned to be content. That's why I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means it means I've allowed Christ to teach me and through the inspired word of God that is profitable for doctrine, reproof and correction and instruction and in righteousness. I've been thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means all things, doesn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul said that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. To walk in them. In Romans 6 and verse 13, it says that we're to count our members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so we study with trust that we are that instrument for God in Christ. And, and through Christ, I can accomplish these things that he has told me to accomplish. But here's the thing. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so it's not an I can do attitude within myself. It's an I can do attitude in Christ. I can do as Christ leads me. I can do as Christ takes a hold of my life and directs me. And that's why back in Luke 17, when he said you could do anything if you just had a mustard seed's worth of faith that I command you, you can do it all. He says in verse 10, so likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. There's no glory in that for me. When I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because He is the one who affected that, through faith, He gets the glory. It is a statement of faith in Christ. Let me suggest to you as well that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a statement of unity with Christ. It's a statement of unity with Christ. You see, people who quote that verse, they, they act like they know Christ. They act like they, they are familiar with Christ. They act like they're, they're spiritual people and, and that they know that Christ wants them to do this or Christ wants them to be this way. But in reality, they don't know Christ because this is not simply a statement of knowing Christ in regard to an intellectual ascent. I'm familiar with Christ because I've read some of the New Testament. When Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me, it was not superficial knowledge. It wasn't a subjective view of Christ, but this is a unity that he has with Christ. I, I don't just know him in the sense of intellect, but I know him in the sense of involvement and relationship. I can do because I am one with Christ. I can do because Christ is living in me. There's an example of this distinction in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when there is the problem of, of eating meats offered to idols, that not being a problem in and of itself because it's a liberty, but that would embolden those with a weak conscience to do that which would be sinful for them to do. And I want us to notice what Paul says there he says we know that we all have knowledge 
Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. And essentially all I want us to do is see there, there's a difference between knowing and knowing. There's a difference between knowing that God said you can eat this meat and being so united and one with Christ that you would not cause this weak brother to perish for whom Christ died. And that's what the context goes on to say. And so when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's not saying that the way to spiritual success is to know your Bible from cover to cover. I'm not saying that's not involved. We need to know it. He's saying, the reason I can live the way I live, the reason that I can do the things that I do is because I really know Christ. I know Him in the sense of relationship. I know Him because He's guiding me every day. I know Him because no matter what the decision is that I have to make, I let Him make it for me. Jesus encouraged the people in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The animal with a yoke on its shoulders who is plowing a field, that animal doesn't decide where it goes. The farmer does. That's what Jesus is saying. I am in control of your life and that's a wonderful thing that provides peace. And this is what Paul meant when he said in Galatians 2, And in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the faith part as well. I've let him take over my life. I'm not in control anymore. And that's not this idea of, again, possession. Like the Spirit is doing everything for me and I I don't have free will. This is in our compliance with him. This is, that's what unity is. I'm deciding to be united with Christ. That's what leads up to Philippians 4 and verse 13. I want us to notice something. At the end of chapter 3, in verse 20, Paul said our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the workings by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved, along for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. He's saying since my citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, you stand fast in Jesus. There is a realm in which Christians stand. We're in Christ. And that involves his authority, his direction, And he says, if you're living for heaven, if your citizenship is there, you're united with Christ, you're working in his kingdom. In chapter two of Ephesians, he talked about how they were raised to sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. That's true right now. We are spiritual creatures in the spiritual realm of Christ's kingdom. But until we actually get to heaven, the way that that is shown and the way that that looks is by me doing Christ's will, being united with him. He goes on to say in chapter four and verse four, rejoice 
and the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. There's, there's a sphere in which, a realm in which I am the Lord. I'm in the Lord. That's my location, not the world. I'm in the Lord. And in the Lord, as I'm doing his will, as I'm following him by faith, I am rejoicing. And when there's things that threaten my joy, I maintain focus on him. I'm united with his will and I rejoice anyway. He says in verse five, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. It's a, it's a word which means that you're not insisting on every right of the letter of law or custom, but you're yielding and gentle and kind and courteous and tolerant. And he had just talked about this, these people, these two sisters, Euodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. They weren't getting along. And what Paul is saying is that what y'all need to do is help them. But then he goes on to say is that you need to be yielding to each other. It's a word which is a compound word with epi, which is an intensification, and then a word which means reasonable. You're super reasonable. And why are you super reasonable with each other? You're not trying to get your own way. You're not acting like you're the one that is most important and in control because the Lord is coming. And so I'm united with Christ and his will that looks out for other people, that cares for other Christians. He says that, you need to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so he's united with Christ to the degree that he often comes to the throne of God, to the throne of grace through Christ in time of trouble. A devoted disciple of Christ does not let the matters of this life affect the way he lives he fully trusts in God and gives his cares to him, knows that he provides and thus has peace. That's, that's a life united with Christ. He says in verse 8, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He's constantly thinking about the things of God, about the, the ways of righteousness, about the Lord's will. And he's not just constantly thinking about them, but verse 9, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's doing them and he's encouraging the Philippians to do them. That's describing one who is truly united with Christ. And here's where I think it reaches a crescendo. All of these things are impressive. But then this is what he says in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He talks about contentment, but I want us to be impressed by what he says in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. You Philippians know also that from the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. It's not, it's not about me and my needs. That's not why I'm so excited about this. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. That describes 
spiritual maturity to an incredible degree. And all the hardships we know that Paul faced and all the times that we know Paul was in need, his main focus, as 2 Corinthians 11 says, his main concern out of all the lists that he had to go through was the welfare of the church. And so when the Philippians shared with him, his attitude was not finally, I was really worried about my next meal. I was really worried about where I'm going to sleep tonight. I was really worried about how things were going to go on on this journey of my ministry. His first thought is that they have benefited spiritually in that fellowship of giving and receiving and sharing. They have provided a great sacrifice to God in that activity. That's a man that is so united with Christ he can say in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. When he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that was not some empty, witty statement. That was a reflection on a life given in full devotion to the way of Christ and his will. That was an expression of unity with Christ. And so if you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but you're not living the life of faith in Christ, you're not doing the little things, you're, you're not letting Christ make not just the big decisions, but the little decisions. Your life doesn't begin and end with Christ but Christ is just someone you think about two days of the week on Sunday and Wednesday. Then you will not be able to do all things. And Christ will not be strengthening you. And that's the, the sad thing, that so many people use this verse, even Christians, without the slightest sense of what it actually truly means in substance. Paul was united with Christ. That's why he could say that. And that's why he was as successful as he was. Lastly, and certainly not least, we've noticed through all of this, Christ is strengthening us. It's faith in, in someone outside of ourselves. It's unity with someone who's flawless and better than us. But it's also a statement of commitment, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. is a public statement of commitment to His will. Whatever He says to do, I know I can do it. I know I will do it because it's what I want to do. And He will provide the strength for me to accomplish it. In Mark the 8th chapter, Jesus expressed to His disciples what true commitment looks like. And it was right after he expressed his commitment, you'll remember he began to teach them, verse 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed after three days and rise again. And, and Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, that's not going to happen. He said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was just now expressing his commitment 
to his father's will. And does he need the strength from the father to do that? Absolutely. That's why he prayed in the garden. That's why he devoted time to prayer throughout his ministry. He could not do it unless he was possessing faith in his father and was united with his father. And so right after he showed his commitment to his father's will, he called the people to himself with his disciples also and said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You've got to be committed. That's what discipleship is. It's a commitment. It's not just some small commitment. It is a commitment that will require self-denial, a willingness to lose everything to gain Christ and his promises. You know, you hear all the time people saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You can't put all your time and energy and effort into this. You can't put all your investments into one stock because if it fails, you don't have anything. And that advice comes from the reality that life under the sun is fickle and you cannot have confidence in most things, if not everything under the sun. Jesus is saying, you deny yourself completely and you put all your eggs in my basket. You follow me entirely. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Paul could because he was committed to Christ. You know, Paul was not a casual Christian. He was far from it. He, he is an extremist. And that's why people view faithful Christians negatively in our culture. We're extremists, aren't we? These are extreme matters of, of realizing what cannot be seen with the physical eye. And people wonder why we live the way that we live, why we're so confident in something that we cannot see. Paul was not casual. He was fully devoted to his life in Christ. He wasn't a four-hour Christian who just showed up to worship services and that's the only Christianity you saw from him. This was his life. He was fully committed and fully united. He said that he left everything and counted everything as rubbish that he could gain Christ and be found in him. I think we can be impressed by the words of Paul throughout his writings and even the writings about him in the book of Acts. And you'll remember well, as we recently studied, when he was going to Jerusalem and the Spirit had been telling everybody about the things that would happen to him, they begged that he wouldn't go. And Paul answered and said, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the commitment that Paul had. Not only willing to be bound, but he's ready to die for the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not something that we should throw around with any less meaning or thought than things like the word hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is a serious statement. It was a statement that he could make because he had faith he was united with Christ and he had committed himself fully to Christ. And brethren, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
but that's what that means. It's not just this I can do attitude of philosophy to strengthen yourself, but it means I know I can't do it without Him. And I can't be with Him without fully devoting my life by faith to His will and His way. Everything we're required to do, we can do through Christ who strengthens us. Before we dismiss to our Bible classes, we'll be led in a word of closing prayer.